0: Welcome back to the 10 Blocks podcast. This is your host, Brian Anderson, editor of City Journal. In the early 1960s, specialized family courts were established in states across the country to oversee cases involving child neglect, paternity, adoption, juvenile and family offenses, and child custody. These days, family courts are a crucial part of child welfare services, but the system is plagued by a number of serious problems. For the most recent issue of City Journal, our friend and frequent writer Naomi Schaefer-Riley visited the Queens County Family Court to report on some of the proceedings that take place there. We invited Naomi into the studio to talk about her experiences, and our conversation begins after this. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Hello again, everyone. This is Brian Anderson, the editor of City Journal. Joining me on the show today is Naomi Schaefer Riley. She's a resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute and writes regularly for City Journal and many, many other outlets. Naomi's latest piece for City Journal is called The Tragedy of Family Court, and it appears in our Autumn 2018 issue. Naomi, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Now, first off, I want to thank you very much for writing the piece. It's, it's certainly a disturbing subject, and uh, I hope our listeners can learn something from your description of it, both in the article and in this conversation today. Can you begin by giving listeners an idea of how family court, how the system operates in New York?
1: Uh, well, family court is used for a lot of different purposes. Uh, there are obviously court cases involving, for instance, the removal of children from homes by the Administration for Children's Services, but it's also there to uh, mediate internal disputes in families, uh, settle divorce cases, custody disputes, and things like that. Um, and uh, for the article, I actually visited Queen's Family Court, but uh, every borough has one, and uh, and they're Pretty difficult to watch in some ways.
0: Now, these are state or city organizations, or both.
1: Uh, they're they're state or state-run, state-funded organizations, uh, but they are uh, located in the in different parts of the city.
0: Right. Now, can you walk us through a little bit the history of family court? This hasn't always been such a major um, feature of city life, right?
1: Well, that's true, and I think in, in some ways it's sort of. Uh, mapped the change in families uh, you know, 50 years ago, we didn't really have courts to settle disputes among families. Those were pretty much settled internally. Um, to the extent that you had kids who were uh, not being cared for by their own immediate family, extended family would take them in. Uh, even things like foster care agencies are a relatively recent phenomenon in the grand uh, scheme of things. Um, but essentially, what's happened is as a family has sort of deteriorated, the structure of the family has deteriorated more and more, the disputes have grown uh, more and more numerous over the last 50 years, such that Family Court today is completely overwhelmed.
0: And what made you want to look into this, uh, this kind of story?
1: Well, I've been writing a lot about child welfare, and it's interesting uh, the number of people when you ask them about what's going wrong in foster care, why more kids who are without families can't be adopted, uh, why children are being abused and neglected and not being removed from their homes. Uh, everybody points the finger at uh, at family court. It's really interesting because I think they think well, the buck should stop there. Now you could argue about that. I think the buck probably should stop other places first um, but even uh, representatives of, of the administration for children's services have said when I asked them about particular numbers oh well you know that those are the decisions of family court judges so I really wanted to find out what it was that was going on there uh, also I would say a lot of foster families uh, that I've talked to foster parents uh, have complained to me endlessly about uh, how often they are forced to go to these hearings about how pointless they are because they never seem to end uh, and how Frustrated they are with the system, so I wanted to sort of see it firsthand.
0: What's the biggest problem with the system? I guess one of the one of the things you've just sort of alluded to it is is the kind of time that it takes to mediate some of these cases, and and that puts children in a difficult position, and it puts parents in a difficult position, right?
1: Right. So almost all of the uh, hearings that I attended uh, in Queens Family Court ended in adjournments. Uh, you know, what would the first possibility is that, for instance, no a piece of paperwork that was supposed to have been filed would not have been filed, or that one person who was supposed to be there for the hearing wasn't there for the hearing. Uh, And the result was that you would have a gathering of six or eight or even 10 people there for a particular hearing, uh, and the judge would look around the room, look at the paperwork, and then announce that he couldn't proceed with the hearing, and everyone should just go home and come back in three or six months. Um, And I think that this was obviously infuriating for the people involved, uh, particularly people who had taken off a day from work in order to, to make this happen. Um, typically, the, the children were not actually present. It was mostly uh, adults. But you often had uh, lawyers for ACS. You had lawyers for uh, each party, for instance, if it was a, a custody dispute. You had a, a lawyer who was representing the child. And it was just a huge waste of everyone's time. And it seemed like there, there must be a way to avoid this.
0: This is a problem for adults. Uh, I think it's an even bigger problem for children, right, because of the way they perceive time and the difficulty of of, uh, keeping their... You know, circumstances so uncertain.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Especially for children under, say, the age of three, uh, where we really want to find as quickly as possible uh, a permanent, safe, and loving home for them. And the idea that uh, you could have a child who is, you know, six months or a year old, and a judge might say, oh, let's come back in three months or six months, uh, when the circumstances could be such that that child could be forming attachments to uh, foster parents, adoptive parents, or biological parents, depending. Depending on the decision, uh, but instead we are keeping them in this kind of limbo that is really preventing the kind of attachment that we know is important for their social, intellectual, and emotional development.
0: How um, how big is the system in New York, uh, in terms of dollars, or or in terms of how many people are operating inside of it? Uh,
1: I'm not sure. What I uh, thinking back, it's it's a it's a system that. Is perpetually cl- claiming to be short of dollars. I guess is is the is the is the problem. The the judges uh, would say that they have too much on their docket. There's really not much that they can uh, they can do to move these cases along. And of course, like any city agency, you know things uh, you know close at a certain time. They only operate on on certain days. And so you know four o'clock. It's time for everybody to go home. Even if your docket is much longer than that.
0: Now, towards the end of the piece, you go over, um, you know, three different ways that the system could be improved in terms of increasing its efficiency. Um, before we we finish the interview, could you just sketch some of those uh, uh, reforms that that are circulating?
1: Yeah, well, I think that the first one is obviously an issue of what, I, what they call calendaring. I'm amazed that judges actually uh, don't simply say to people, okay, everybody needs to come back in a month. We'll find a time for you. Instead, at the end of each hearing that I was at, a judge would say, oh, let's try in six months. Could you come back on Thursday, December 13th? And someone else would say, no, I have a dentist appointment that day. And it seemed absurd. This was not the way that you would schedule appointments for, say, a doctor. You would go see somebody who, uh, you know, the receptionist, who had a lot more time on their hands than the judge.
0: So the judges themselves are setting these appointments
1: Yes, yes. They're spending, I would say, at least 10 minutes at the end of each hearing actually discussing an appointment-making system, which is, you know, something I think that could be done by a computer system much more easily or certainly uh, by an assistant uh, much more efficiently. Um, So, you know, one question is whether we can enforce by state law some kind of speedy trial Uh, mandate. You know, obviously, this is something we have in criminal court where we say, look, you know, come hell or high water, this person needs to be able to be seen by a judge. We can't have this case go on forever. Now, of course, the judges will say and the court, uh, you know, representatives will say, well, if you want to have speedier trials, you need to dump more money into the system. I'm not actually opposed to that. I think that we may have reached a point where we simply uh, need more judges to be looking at these cases. Um, But I also think another solution is that, you know, judges really, Need to be using their discretion more to determine which cases do not belong in family court. I mean, if you have you know a boyfriend and girlfriend who are simply uh, you know arguing over who gets the apartment or things like you know things which are um, technically family disputes, uh, which I saw a number of and sometimes didn't even involve children. Uh, you know, the dispute over uh, you know an elderly person. Uh, you know, the one one sibling thought this should happen to them. One sibling thought that should happen to them. Whether you need a family court hearing for each one of these cases, let alone whether you need several hearings, uh, you know, that are are drawn out by these different adjournments, um, seemed simply crazy to me. And, and, uh, And a system that is supposed to be charged with protecting vulnerable children, I think, should not be in the habit of taking what seemed to me like much more frivolous
0: cases. Don't forget to check out Naomi Riley's essay, The Tragedy of Family Court. It's in our latest issue, And you can find it on our website, www.city-journal.org. You can follow Naomi on Twitter, at Naomi S. Riley. We'd also love to hear your comments about today's episode on Twitter, at City Journal. Lastly, if you like our show and want to hear more, please leave ratings and reviews on iTunes. Thanks for listening, and thanks, Naomi, for joining us. Thank you.